Well, hello there and welcome to episode 155 of The Cool Room and a very special episode it is too. Uh, it's a live broadcast featuring Vain Stefan uh, live at Beer Deluxe in Federation Square, Melbourne. Uh, we'll get over to the audio for that in a couple of moments' time, uh, but I'm your host, David Griffiths, and I just wanted to take a moment or two to, first of all, say a big thank you to everyone who came along to this live event. It was genuinely one of the most fantastic nights that we've had uh, as part of the podcast, uh, and a big thanks to Beer Deluxe for making it happen. Uh, if you're enjoying this episode at home, well, first of all, thank you for uh, putting up with a little bit of uh, background noise during the podcast. It was recorded live. I actually think the audio turns out really well, but acknowledge the fact that it's a live podcast. So if you're wondering why there's a little bit of noise in the background, it's all of the people who joined us having a fantastic time. The other thing to say is that if for some reason you didn't get along to the podcast, but you want to try these beers, we have an amazing 10-pack uh, from Weinstefan featuring 10 different beers, including all the ones that we discuss uh, in this podcast. You can get that from our online store. If you search Cool Room Podcast Shopify, uh, that'll get you there to $69 Australian for 10 different German beers. Uh, that's fantastic value. Only about 10 packs left, and that's all there's going to be until we do it all again next year. So uh, we have some big fans of these beers. Get in there and grab them while you can. And please come along and join us for our other live shows, which are coming up. We're going to be over at Hobheads in Yarraville uh, with One Drop. And then we're going to venture out to the Williamstown Beer and Cider Festival. So those are the live shows alongside three great online podcasts, uh, online masterclasses that you can join from anywhere in the world. They happen on Thursday nights at 6.30 Melbourne time. We've got some great guests coming up on that. We have Double Vision from New Zealand. We have Bright Brewery from Victoria. And we have some new friends from Lost Watering Hole, which used to be Sour Piglets in Lansfield. Some of you will know that brewery. And again, tasting packs for all of those are available on our online store. Uh, that's what allows us to have the money to keep doing this. So your support is very gratefully received. Uh, without any further ado, let's get over to the recorded part of our session. Uh, an amazing night with Fein Stefan Brewery live at Beer Deluxe in Fed Square. Well, hello and welcome to episode 155 of The Cool Room. Amazing to think that we've got that many episodes under our belts. Uh, a very, very special edition tonight coming to you live from Beer Deluxe in Federation Square, uh, a great venue. We've been here for a few times and tonight is going to be one of our most special episodes ever as we're sitting down in the flesh with Weinstefan and Marcus Englert. Englert, let's, before we go any further, correct me on all my German pronunciation. Marcus, it's welcome to Perfect, Melbourne. perfect. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are exactly the kind of guest that I love having because you tell me that I'm perfect even when we both know that I'm not. Uh, we've got some fantastic beers in front of us to taste tonight. Hopefully everyone who's joining us in the podcast version later on has the right beers in front of us. If not, jump onto the Cool Room Shopify store and you can order those beers from us and have those beers in front of you. But let's not delay any further. 
Marcus, we have the pills in front of us. Can you tell us, before we all drink what's in front of us, what we should be experiencing in the glass, please? I think most people already finished their pills, but, but uh, I think you feel free to order another one. Yeah, it's a Bavarian-style pilsner, so another a northern uh, German pilsner. The pilsners from the south are a little bit more balanced in between the malt and the, the hop character. Not so bitter. Uh, you still can feel the, uh, the, the malt, the sweetness of the malt, uh, and uh, the hops that we're using are also very floral. So it's uh, nothing which is really sp- springs in your face, but uh, really a well-balanced pilsner. It is absolutely that. I'm very conscious that tonight we've got some craft beer aficionados, and we've got some people who are very new to craft beer. So can you tell us a little bit more about those hops that you're talking about when you say floral what kinds of words is that evoking for you? What kinds of flavours might people be experiencing? Mein Stefan only uses uh, uh, raw materials, so malt and hops uh, from Bavaria. So everything what we are using comes from the neighbourhood. And I mean, we have the world's biggest, uh, largest uh, hop growing area um, next to us, which is the Hallertau. It's just 10 minutes outside of, uh, of Freising, where the brewery uh, is based. And um, these kind of hops that we are having there, of course, Hops for the bitterness. Uh, we are, our bitter hops uh, is Hercules, Halatower uh, Hercules. And for the for the aroma hops, we are using Mittelfrüh, which is one of the four noble hops uh, that they call them. It's Wein Stefan Halatower Mittelfrüh. It's Saatz from the Czech Republic. It's Tetnanger and Spalt, or both Germans. Um, these are the four noble hops, and Mittelfrüh is in there, and Halatower uh, tradition on top of that. So. Um, really balanced, uh, only one bitter hops in the first part of the, um, of the meshing, and uh, then the two um, aroma hops, the middle fruit and the tradition in the end. And what sorts of flavour, well, first of all, if we put our nose in, yeah, what sorts yeah, of aromas yeah, should yeah. we get? You should get a, a, a little bit grassy um, 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 aromas, but uh, also a little bit citrus uh, out of it. Um, and these are the main, uh, uh, um, yeah, main uh, aromas that we are smelling. Yeah. And in terms of the flavours, are there different things on the flavours in the mouth compared to the nose, or is it going to be the same kinds of things? I mean, it's, uh, for a pilsner, in the, it's pretty smooth in the mouth, uh, so it's not la- like that uh, uh, when you swallow it that you really uh, feel that uh, uh, you have a sore throat or so. It, it's really uh, um, uh, smooth when you drink it, so um, um, it's a little bit uh, the same uh, what you have in the nose and in the mouth. Yeah. The sweetness of the uh, malt, uh, you feel more in the mouth. So we've sort of jumped straight into the beer there, but what we haven't done is tell those sort of basic overviews of, of what it would be like if we were walking into the brewery today. So normally when we start an interview on the podcast, we ask people to explain where in the world the brewery is and then what it would be like if we were sort of driving up, what would we be experiencing, I guess, now in November in Germany, but also on a really nice sort of, you know, October day as well. So... When you come to Weinstefan, you first of all you have to climb a hill because, uh, like uh, the breweries in the medieval times, uh, they were quite often based on a hill. Not only like the castles for protection, but uh, uh, because we were us- there were no pumps at the time, so we were using the natural gravity uh, from uh, 
brewing the beer up there, uh, and then next level down we uh, had the fermentation and the, and the storage, and then one level down we have the packaging. So you have to climb a hill. You, you see it also on the on the screen. It's on the top of a hill. Um, and when you walk into the brewery, you think, oh my God, this is a historical site. I can see that it's the world's oldest brewery in existence. But when you then see the equipment, state-of-the-art brewing equipment. So this is what we try to do. And, uh, um, the, our Bavarian uh, uh, minister once, uh, once said, uh, Bavaria is laptop and lederhosen. So tradition and, uh, um, uh, tradition and uh, um, future-minded uh, uh, thinking. And this is what you see in Wein Stefan. Laptop and Lederhosen sounds fantastic in English. What is it in German? Laptop and Lederhosen. <laughs> I, was, I was asked earlier on by someone in the audience whether I spoke German, and I said no, but I promised them lots of German throughout the night. So. Uh, it's interesting because uh, I had presumed that it was on top of a hill more because of a monastic and church-based beginning, but... Can you? I mean, this is the this is the background. So, Wein Stefan uh, Monastery, uh, like uh, quite many breweries in Bavaria and in Germany, they, uh, brewing started in the monastery. And the Wein Stefan Monastery was founded in 725 by um, by an uh, abbot uh, by a monk called Corbinian. And he, he's a good guy. We'll talk more about yeah, him. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I don't want, want to tell uh, too much. He built it up there, um, and uh, through the years, um, it stayed a monastery, um, so from 725 till 1803. There is a document which uh, proves that they were the world's oldest brewery, that's from 1040, but uh, we think that brewing existed already, uh, uh, or happened already uh, much uh, earlier, because there um, is another doc document which states that there, were, uh, there was a hop garden at the Wein Stefan Hill, and uh, you used hop only for brewing beer for nothing else at the time. So we think that. Till, uh, so uh, monastery brewing from 725 to uh, 1803. Then we had a, um, a thing in, Bava in Bavaria and in Germany which was called secularization. That means that uh, the dukes took all the, the wealth and the, um, out of the monasteries and churches, closed almost all the monasteries uh, and uh, also many churches to get some money. And why did they needed money? They wanted to go uh, to Russia with Napoleon to fight the Russians. And the Bavarian dukes thought, okay, uh, we are pretty sure that we will win that war and then we get royalties out of that. Unfortunately, they, they lost the war, uh, and, but the monasteries were closed. But 1803, the Bavarian king saw that um, people were doing, the monks were doing really good things there with brewing the beer, so he took over. And after World War I, the, mon uh, the monarchy ended in Bavaria, then the Bavarian state took over. So, and this is what we are today, a, a state-owned brewery. There are only three in Germany. It's Wein Stefan and Hofbräu Munich. Um, and uh, then it's Rothaus uh, in Baden-Württemberg, close to Stuttgart. These are the only three state-owned breweries. Well, we're all about state-owned breweries, I've got to say. And uh, for those of you who joined us online last year, you might remember that the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, Sally Cap, joined us and I think committed to uh, getting a state-owned brewery in Melbourne. Uh, I've spoken to her today. She sends her apologies. Uh, she can't be here tonight. Uh, I can't make policy on behalf of the Lord Mayor, but uh, I'm sure she's still committed to a state-owned brewery here in Melbourne. Uh, 
feel free to email her with that information uh, and don't mention my name if you, if you do so. Uh, Marcus, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be at the brewery as well? So I just celebrated my 24th anniversary um, last um, Saturday in uh, Sydney. Um, uh, I so feel like we should sing happy birthday in German. <laughs> or... Wait till the 25. Yeah. I think that's a, <laughs> that's a magic number. Yeah, so I started in 1998 and um, at the time there was no internet. Uh, I didn't have a job and uh, I was looking uh, the newspaper, watching the newspaper and saw this ad that they were looking for an uh, uh, expo manager. Uh, and uh, I, I love traveling. I just came back uh, from, a, from a world trip, uh, 18 months actually here in Australia. And I, and I thought, oh my God, working for a brewery plus traveling, that would be jackpot. <laughs> Was the travelling not that important in the equation? Was it really more the uh, working for a brewery? I think it was both, <laughs> yeah. I mean, selling uh, beer in Germany is a different story. It's not that fancy and not that uh, adventurous as it is abroad. Um, but, yeah, uh, I went into the job interview and uh, the, uh, the director was close to uh, retirement. So he had this list in front of him and he, the questions were on the left-hand side. And on the right-hand side, it was plus and minus. So he was uh, reading the question, I was answering plus, reading the question, minus. And the last question uh, actually was, why do you want to work in the brewery? I mean, I was not prepared uh, for this job interview at all. And I said, uh, because I like to drink beer. And he said, this is the guy we take him. <laughs> because all the others said, oh, brewing has future and uh, stuff like that. Maybe take him. So this is my and, uh, 24 years. Um, yeah, in the beginning you think, okay, started with Wein Stefan. Wein Stefan is a mid-sized brewery. And then you're getting up, you know, to the big guys, the Paulanas, the Bitburgers. Uh, but I was approached many times, always stayed, and I don't regret it because uh, working for this brewery is really an honor and a big pleasure as well. That's fantastic to hear. I'm sure everyone in the room with us tonight would love to have the kind of job that you have, but they're also very happy for the life advice that in, a be in an interview, for a job interview, just say, I like drinking beer and you'll get the job. That, I'm sure that holds true. I'm sure that holds true whether you're wanting to work at a brewery or you want to apply to be a brain surgeon in a hospital. Just say, I like drinking beer and you'll get the job. So, Now, I'm sure that our friends here at Beer Deluxe are about to start to bring out the next beer that we're going to taste. So we might start to talk about the transition from the pills into the Hefeweiss. Uh, can you prepare people for what they're going to taste on that front? What's going to be the same, but obviously, more importantly, what's going to be different? The great thing about Wein Stefan is that uh, we are a full sortiment brewery. So we are not only brewing three types of wheat beer. Uh, we are brewing uh, uh, 15 types of beer year-round. Uh, six uh, are uh, top fermented beers, uh, so wheat beers of any kind. And uh, seven are uh, bottom fermented, uh, so that means lagers, uh, different kind of lagers. Uh. I'm going to interrupt you there because, again, I'm conscious that we've got new craft beer people and experienced craft beer people. When you talk about top fermented and bottom fermented, can you explain a little bit more for people who are newer what that real? You're being quite literal, I know, yeah. but some people don't, may not understand that. Sure. Um, I mean, uh, some examples of top fermenting beers are ales, stout and porter. 
as wheat beers. Uh, bottom fermented beers are mainly lager beers, um, pilsner beers, um, this kind of beers. So um, bottom and uh, top fermenting beers, uh, it, um, it, it's categorized by the yeast that you're using. Because in, uh, for bottom fermented uh, um, uh, beers, you have a special yeast, which is uh, a best, uh, in best form uh, with around um, 10 degrees centigrade uh, the, when the fermentation happens. And uh, the top fermenting beers are at around 20 uh, degrees centigrade. Um, and uh, it's also a little bit uh, what you can think about. Um, the yeast cells of the top fermenting yeast uh, look under the microscope a little bit like a net. And during the fermentation, alcohol and CO2 is produced and the bubbles of the CO2 will then uh, be caught in the net of this, uh, of this yeast. And uh, so the yeast is going up. Um, bottom fermented yeast, uh, uh, it looks like a little bowl, and uh, during the fermentation you have also the bubbles, so, but they don't, can catch uh, uh, the, the yeast, so the, the yeast is going down during the fermentation. So the, um, yeast, I think we will talk uh, about that later as well, has uh, a, a very important uh, impact on the flavor of the beer, because not only hops can make a difference, but yeast, especially for the wheat beers, has a very, very important impact on the, on the flavor. And we know that your brewery uh, is one of the most important repositories of yeast. There's a phrase I didn't think I was going to say tonight, but uh, the, the role uh, that Weinstein has in preserving uh, yeasts, uh, contributing to knowledge and teaching new brewers uh, is such an important thing in Europe and right around the world. Uh, the brewers that we were speaking to from Australia in October, from uh, Burnley Brewing and from Slow Lane and others, had all done apprenticeships in Germany, often with your brewery. Uh, what is the role uh, that your brewery has in terms of yeast management, almost like a museum, a living museum? Weinstefan is not only a brewery, a commercial brewery. We are state-owned brewery, as I mentioned, but we have to lead our business as a, uh, as a regular private-run uh, company. So we have to make our balance. Uh, we just have a board which consists of politicians and... Uh, oh, not, th not them. <laughs> and pro professors of the university. And this is the importance. Uh, Weinstefan is not only a commercial brewery, state-owned, but we have also um, uh, a brewing university attached. So it's um, the University of Weinstefan is part of the Technical University of Munich, and uh, they decided to bring everything uh, which has to uh, all the studies which have to do with nature and food to Weinstefan. So you can study agriculture, horticulture, uh, food science, dairy science, brewing in Weinstefan. So we have around 9,000 students there right now from all over the world. And uh, they are not only teaching there, uh, but they are also doing research. So uh, most of the most famous um, um, inventions the, of the last uh, decades came actually from the University, Brewing University of Weinstefan. And they have also the research institute there, uh, and they have a yeast bank. And this yeast bank is uh, one of a kind. They are holding around 160 different yeast strains uh, for all types of beer. So it, you can uh, have in mind, I mean, it's an old building, but inside it looks like Fort Knox. So you, uh, this uh, yeast um, um, 
fridge where the yeasts are lying there, the mother strains of the yeast, where breweries always come back and uh, take little pieces of this mother strain and then propagate it in the different countries and the different breweries that they have. And we are really sending that yeast uh, to all. You can, we are exporting in 55, uh, 54 countries. I think they are exporting in around 120 countries. So um, it's one of a kind. Um, they even have a special aggregate there that when we get a, a, a black hole, uh, how do you call it, when no L L uh, energy is there. Oh, yeah, well, blackout, yeah, uh, no, black no electricity. Yeah, 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 exactly. They have uh, a special uh, thing uh, there which closes the fridge then in, in a second that uh, the, the cold stays preserved because the yeast has to be always at a certain temperature. And uh, really, a state-of-the-art thing there. I mean, I, I had. You to don't want to put your finger in the middle of that when it's uh, no, when no. the blackout's coming. I mean, I, I just uh, I had the honor to visit there last year. In 24 years, they let me in only uh, one time, yeah, and uh, it was impressive. And uh, this is, uh, yeah, Van Stefan, not only a brewery, but the university. The this uh, star of this university is really very, very bright worldwide. I'm fascinated by the, by the idea that there's um, there's 9,000 students around the area. Are they all studying brewing, or, brewing, or is it a, a range of? Uh... No, I think uh, around 400 of these 9,000 study brewing. And and how does that make the town feel? Is it a university sort oh, yeah. of town? Oh yeah, so, you so... know when there are uh, um, uh, semester uh, holidays. Freising is really quiet and dead, uh, but uh, because Freising has around 50,000 uh, inhabitants and 9,000 students, so you can imagine that uh, the bars and uh, the restaurants are pretty empty when the students are not there. I, I can imagine they're quite full though when the students are there. And yeah, yeah, and, and uh, you can imagine, uh, please visit us in Weinstefan, the brewery is right on the campus, so we are really surrounded by lecture rooms and by uh, research uh, facilities. Uh, it's one of a kind, yeah. And I have to ask, you mentioned that there were uh, all of these innovations that have come from the university in the last 10 years mm -hmm. or 20 years or so. Are there examples you can give us of what those might, might yeah. be that we might be familiar with? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, um, Stefan definitely had one of the first de-alcoholization plants um, which they were working on uh, and that we took over in uh, 1996 into our brewery. So they um, invented it, uh, especially that uh, special uh, method to take the alcohol out, evaporation under um, uh, vacuum. Uh, which uh, you didn't have to go so high temperatures to, to get the alcohol, evaporate the alcohol out. So it's only around 47 degrees under the vacuum that they can take the alcohol out. Um, and uh, we were the first ones then also to, to take that in our brewery and use it. And we just uh, replaced this plant uh, one year ago. So it was running uh, more than 20 years in our brewery. I think that's a fascinating place. As many of the people in the room now have the beers in front of them, we can go back to some of those... Yep flavours and esters that they'll be getting from the yeast, but I guess that's why that temperature is important, yes, because those delicate flavours are exactly the kinds of ones that heat would destroy the most. Yeah. So, perhaps we don't have the beers in front of us yet. I think we need it, because yeah, I, I, can, I, I cannot tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but everyone, other than the team from Phoenix, who is, it's, this is probably a good thing, because they were already looking a little bit loud and naughty. Uh, but perhaps as those beers get to us, 
you can start to actually talk us through what we should be seeing in the glass, what we should be experiencing uh, on the nose and what we should be tasting because uh, this beer, particularly by Australian standards, appears quite cloudy. Uh, it's sort of almost one of those new style of beers. Uh, Rob, Thank you're so a magnificent much. man. Thank you. Uh, you, as you. Listeners on the podcast can probably guess that means that the beers have arrived with us. Uh, and so please, Marcus, talk us through what we should be experiencing uh, in the glass in front of us right now. First of all, um, as I said, we are producing 15 uh, beers year-round, plus two um, uh, seasonals. Uh, but uh, the beer that you have here, the Hefeweiss beer, is our flagship. So 52% of our entire production is only this one SKU, so this, uh, this beer. Mm. Uh, we were always famous for wheat beers, uh, and um, uh, especially for the unfiltered one. Um, when you uh, have a look at it, uh, um, what's always important for beer and uh, more important for wheat beers is the foam. Because uh, whenever someone says, I don't need foam on my beer, misses out an uh, uh, um, experience or a sensation uh, because there are a lot of aromas also uh, in the foam. So uh, when you put it in, uh, on your nose, you have this... You have this uh, um, fruity banana notes, mm. but uh, uh, what's uh, as important for our beer as the banana notes are the, the, the spicy notes, the, the clove. It, it's clove and banana, so it's uh, um, a very special um, thing about uh, the yeast strains. So um, there, for the wheat beer, are the three different kinds of wheat beer uh, of uh, yeast strains. Uh, one is uh, uh, the uh, um, the uh, estuary um, character. So estuary characters uh, are very fruity, so very uh, much banana flavor, and uh, uh, some other sides from the estuary um, uh, um, uh, yeast strains uh, is uh, uh, ice candy. Uh, some uh, also uh, consider it a little bit like uh, glue. Uh, but and it's, uh, it has to be a little bit in there, but it must not be in there. Not too much, because otherwise it's like an off flavor. Wein Stefan is a phenolic, uh, has a phenolic yeast strain in it. Uh, uh, phenolic means that you don't have only banana, but you have also this uh, spicy uh, like clove in it. And then you have neutral ones, which uh, just smell like yeast. So very neutral. Yeah. To me, I always say that you know, with a beer like this, and this is tasting beautifully on tap tonight, can I say, but it's almost like a little bit like banana bread. So yeah. you get that sort of the banana, but also the yeast and those little bits of spices. Yeah. Uh, it's a much more complex beer because it has all of those different kinds of flavours yeah, in it. Yeah. And you, it's unfiltered, of course, and we're using a special yeast, a floating yeast, uh, so it's centrifuged uh, d- uh, during the brewing process into the beer, that it stays there. Uh, so you won't really find uh, in our beers, like with uh, other beers, with have uh, bottle uh, fermentation, uh, secondary f- uh, fermentation in the bottle, that the yeast will go down uh, and you have the sediment in our bottles. Uh, ours is uh, made ready in the tank before it leaves, so nothing happens uh, and there's no secondary fermentation in the uh, bottle or in the keg after that. So uh, we have that yeast, yeah, it stays in the, in the beer, uh, always cloudy. And when you drink it, uh, and I think you had already a sip, it's very creamy, it's, uh, it has a really good mouthfeel and... Um, uh, it's very smooth as well. 
it tastes magnificent, I've got to say. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Wonderful thing to uh, be able to sit here and taste this tonight. On the call room, we always allow audience questions, and I'm very conscious that we're here with a room full of people who might want to ask questions. The old school teacher's going to come at me in a second and ask people if they want to ask a question to put up their hand, but I'm also saying this with a degree of, uh, of trepidation as I say, does anyone have any yeast questions that they would like to, uh, like to ask tonight? Uh, we're going to talk about... There'll be many opportunities for audience questions along the way. Don't feel uh, that you have to ask uh, right now. But I know there are lots of home brewers in the room tonight, and for many people who are home brewers, yeast is one of the most difficult uh, things to actually control and get right, uh, and to particularly to finish a beer like this with that range of flavours. Uh, would you have any advice for home brewers while people think about their questions out on the tables tonight? I mean, you know, uh, I'm not a brewer, uh, but uh, I joined around uh, 250 uh, brewery tours with our <laughs> brewers uh, and I uh, made a beer sommelier course as well, uh, which uh, we were also brewing our beer and learning about uh, how the brewing process works. Um, I mean, yeast is, uh, is a very important thing, especially for the wheat beers, because uh, you have you do, not, you do not have actually a lot of uh, uh, flavor coming from the hops in the beer. So, so this banana and uh, uh, spicy aroma comes all from the yeast. So you have to be very particular about the yeast, but uh, it's uh, quite neglected in many um, areas of the of the brewing because uh, it's easier to put different kind of hops uh, into the beer than to have a good yeast management. Now I'm conscious we've got people lining up to ask their questions, so if you have a question out in the audience, feel free to come up and take the microphone. I know that Andrew, a fantastic loyal supporter, not just of the Cool Room podcast, but also of this particular brewery, because I drop beers off to him from time to time on my travels. Uh, what's your question, my friend? The question is really around the, the yeast. Uh, you mentioned that there's, in this uh, particular beer, that there's not a yeast sediment in the bottle. It's already been prepared before uh, being filled. How does that affect any ageing that might occur with the beer? Is this a beer that's really best to drink straight away when it's as freshly bottled as possible? Or how does, it might, how does the characters change with a little bit of time? German beers uh, are all produced according to the uh, world's oldest food law. In, uh, um, and this is called the, the purity law or the Reinheitsgebot. So we are only allowed to, uh, to use um, water, malt, hops, and yeast. In the original uh, um, Gebot there was no yeast mentioned because people didn't know how the fermentation, it just was filed yeast uh, which was in the air and started fermentation. But uh, we are still using that Reinheitsgebot as uh, our uh, philosophy, uh, German brewers, to brew according to this. And of course, uh, um, we have... Uh, Beer is uh, a product uh, when you don't put additives in it uh, to, to stop the, or um, harm the, the aging. Uh, it's uh, aging, of course. Yeah? And uh, usually you can say in the first six months the aging is going really uh, quite gradual. And from month six it's going more uh, ex uh, uh, ex ex exponentially. Yeah. Um, the yeast itself doesn't really um, have an impact on the aging of the beer. 
Um, it's just oxygen, uh, light stroke, all these uh, things. Uh, but mostly important is that you let the beer at the time during production that the beer needs. So from uh, the brew house to the um, uh, fermentation and most important, the storage, uh, that is, uh, this is key for, uh, for uh, that a beer stays fr as fresh as possible. And um, uh, you can really feel it that when um, you shorten the storage time, the beer will age much, much faster. So um, be, uh, breweries with a lower capacity uh, in high peak months will reduce that time of uh, storage because that's the, the longest in the whole production process, uh, process that you let the beer rest and uh, that all the, um, the um, alcohols that you don't want to have in, in there get out of the beer. Um, this is key. Yeah. Yeah. Is, it, is it different from one style of beer to another, how long it needs to be yeah. kept? Yeah, yeah. I mean, many people think, okay, a lager beer, it's a basic beer. But the lager beer needs the, the, the longest uh, storage time. So uh, for our wheat beers, we have around uh, three weeks of storage. has to do, of course, with the higher temperatures that the beer is produced. Um, everything is going a bit faster, but uh, a good lager beer, and especially the you know the little bit more high alcoholic uh, uh, fest beers and Merzen beer styles, they need around six to seven um, um, uh, weeks only for maturation, uh, and you can feel the difference. And uh, yeah, the appreciation for lager beers is uh, unfortunately not that high, but you, you should because uh, for the brewmasters, it's always. Uh, set up the crown when they are uh, winning an award for uh, a lager beer. It, it's funny, even in the three and a half, four years that the podcast has been going, we've really noticed that in Australia, more and more people, particularly beer connoisseurs, are appreciating the lager style. And we always say that it's the beer that brewers always taste together. Yeah. Uh, not just because it's a great beer to have after you've been in a hot brewery all day, uh, but because that's the one where you can't hide anything. It's a style where there's any flaw yeah. might come out. Yeah, yeah. It's... Uh it's filtered, so it has to be clear. And uh, you know what happens quite often is that the the beer is a little bit uh, getting a little bit pale when, when when it's aging or when it's not treated right. Um, and uh, yeah, also with the with the aromas. I mean, uh, the acetyl, this buttery taste, or so uh, tastes much worse in a in a, a lager beer than in a wheat beer, for example. Yeah. Absolutely right. Uh, I'm, if anyone else has uh, yeast questions that they'd like to ask. Come up and uh, to line up out the front. Uh, you know, it feels like we're sort of a bad doctor's studio there. But uh, the, the other question that I wanted to ask uh, and to uh, show my, again, bad German pronunciation, I can't help but ask about the Reinheitsgebot, the, uh, the German purity law. And you've got all of these students who are at the university trying new techniques. Uh, how constrained do they feel by that? And are there people experimenting at the university with things that would fall outside of that of those purity laws? I mean, when you come to Germany and you study at a German university, uh, you have to be aware that they won't uh, really show you how to put additives into the beer. Or uh, um, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, you have to be aware of that. 
Um, are they doing it at home? Like if you went round to their house, are there sort of beers that have lingonberries and... Uh, you know, it's really interesting that you say that. Uh, I made a beer sommelier course, uh, uh, which uh, uh, was not at the University of, uh, of Weinstefan because they see themselves as an acad- acad- academic university. So uh, if you don't want to study brewing, you don't get access. But uh, it's a, the most famous German uh, Brewer school. So when you only want to make an apprenticeship as a brewer, that's Dömans in Munich, and they offer that, and they always split uh, it. So a little bit of rivalry there, I hear. Um, no, not really, because they are more for the you know the, the regular brewers, uh, not so much for the engineers. Uh, uh, and and that's, we, that's rivalry, if you can. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, in, in the past it was a, a must that our director um, uh, uh, was a brewer. Uh, brewing engineer uh, made his in, uh, degree in Weinstefan and the head brewer anyway. Uh, now we have actually uh, uh, our head brewers uh, uh, made this brewing school at Dömans. So we, we broke that up. So we we getting... Uh, so, the, so now there's not a rivalry, but there was no. in yeah, the yeah. previous yeah, yeah. 930 years. Exactly, it. yeah. yeah. We, have, we were fighting each other with swords at the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but... Uh, um, and uh, okay, this first uh, part of the um, sommelier course happened in uh, in uh, Munich in this uh, Dömans Academy, and the other one in Austria. Because the, in the second part, we were brewing a beer, and they wanted to also us that we could brew outside of the purity law. So we were using honey, we were using coriander, and to make a wonderful Weizenbock. Uh, <laughs> so so this is uh, yeah, uh, but. This kind of purity law, it's also something like a, um, um, yeah, a message that you have a, a clear green product. You know, it's like a past that nothing else is in it, that it's a pure product. And many breweries, you wouldn't believe it, so also craft breweries that make a lager beer say to, to show that we also use only the, the main ingredients and we don't need any other stuff, we also brew a lager beer according to the purity law. So it's nothing, um, because I get asked that quite often, if that not restricts us in our uh, opportunities and possibilities. Yes, it does. And it, uh, it makes us uh, also to try harder to get to the same result as others go, which can use additives or, um, I mean, some things that keep the beer clearer and uh, not getting uh, 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 haze so quickly. Yeah, but we, we stick to that. You've mentioned their sort of new technology and you mentioned earlier uh, laptops and lederhosen. The other night when we had Schlenkeler Brewery on, uh, it was a fascinating conversation as they spoke about the ways that they have found ways to ensure that their beers taste the same, even as the technology changes and the technology improves. Mm. First of all, go back and listen to that podcast. It's fantastic. Uh, but... Are there any examples you can think of where, as you've got more technology in the brewery, you've had to find ways of ensuring that these classic beers taste the same? You know, when you're working uh, yeah, in a, uh, with, with a really um, equipment which is uh, high standards, um, it's... You know, it's still uh, uh, kind of handcraft. Yeah, we, 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 you don't push the button, and uh, 
then uh, everything is running automatically from the beginning to the end. So you still have people there. So when you visit the brewery and you go through the production uh, sites, you see still people there. In in some breweries, you don't see any people anymore. That's a fascinating. Uh, that's a fascinating point, and uh, I'd love to ask about that. I'm also going to say to the bar staff, probably time to start to think about the next beers. And I know we're putting you under the hammer a little bit on that front. But I, uh, if I'm keeping anywhere close to my time frames, then we'll need to start to move on to that. But uh, we've experienced some big breweries here in Melbourne, like the biggest brewery here in Melbourne, where the, the size of the factory might be the size of our biggest football field, the MCG. It's how we measure everything in Melbourne. But there might only be uh, four or five, maybe six people on the floor. If we were on the floor of uh, the factory today in, uh, in Germany, how many people would we see and what roles do they all have? So um, we have uh, 180 uh, um, employee, uh, um, people employed uh, and you can say 50% uh, are in sales marketing and more in the offices and 50% in the production and logistics. Mm. So uh, you will definitely see in every part of the brewery uh, at least three or four people running around. Uh, uh, Are they the, running or walking at a really steady pace with purpose? I mean, they're, they're all uh, real brewers, you know. They're not, so, uh, so none of them are running then? <laughs> no, they're not running. No, no, no. We want to do, really we don't want to disturb the beer to, to maturate. <laughs> <laughs> not don't stress it. Yeah, yeah. No, you see Eric, and and you saw, see them also taking samples, trying the beer, sending them to the, to the laboratory, which is next door. Um, yeah, it's uh, we still uh, still say beer is handcraft, and uh, I think this uh, meets the. the, the message quite well. Yeah. Uh, and a question we ask, and I, this is not meant to be rude in the least, but we often speak to brewers who have to make a decision to pour a beer out when it isn't working. Is that something that ever happens at the brewery or are the techniques and the brewers so refined that you don't make a mistake of that time? I have that to... Would not be so pretentious, but it really never happened in these 24 years that I was there. Um, um, you have always uh, brews where the yeast might not work so well because it doesn't feel so so comfortable in the in the brewing process. But then you can just put more yeast in that that uh, you make it happen. Um, uh, we never. We never had to get beer uh, back from supermarkets or from uh, from uh, uh, from the field because there was something wrong. Um, I mean, this is of course the good thing about the technology that uh, you can avoid that you know a, a, a broken glass is in in your beer or. Um, um, this is the good part of new technology, but uh, the human factor is not to be neglected. Uh, you mentioned broken glass there, and I'm sure there's never been any broken glass go out, but it reminds me of something that I found fascinating when we were speaking last year, which is about how many times the bottles at the brewery can be used, uh, which I think in Australia there's virtually no reuse of a bottle, often there's recycling of the glass, but can you tell, talk a little bit about the processes behind your sustainability in terms of the, the bottles themselves? We have... Uh, uh, um, our government gives us a clear picture of how they uh, want to have uh, 
uh, one-way products and uh, people from the uh, returnable system. So they always say 80% uh, uh, should be returnable uh, inside Germany, 20% um, uh, one-way. And if this uh, uh, ratio is uh, not like this, like that uh, um, one way is taken over and uh, going up to 30 or 40 percent, um, then the government is reacting. And they reacted around 10 years ago, um, where this uh, ratio for one way was high, uh, too high in their opinion, and so they put um, a deposit on the one way which was 10 times higher than the deposit is for the, uh, for the returnable. So, so we have this returnable system where we have uh, plastic crates. We get them, pay a deposit for the crate and for the bottles, and then bring it back and get the deposit back. And these bottles which are in there, they say it's around 20 times that you can reuse one bottle. Which I find truly fascinating, and I think it's fair to say, and people in the room can shout out if they know examples, but in Australia there's virtually no reuse of bottles for anything other than our loyal home brewers, uh, but in terms of breweries that would reuse their actual bottles over and over again. Um, so does that mean there's people employed to effectively clean and make sure that there's clean all of those bottles as they come through the system? All of our, um, We have uh, in our bottling line uh, we have a really big washing machine and uh, um, these returnable bottles go through that washing machine as uh, the new bottles for, for, for you in Australia. We are also only using uh, new bottles when we have uh, 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 beer shipped overseas or so. So it's always new bottles because it looks nice on the shelf, of course. But also these go through that washing machine because also there can be something in it. And this, uh, uh, only this uh, um, whole washing uh, um, cycle is eight minutes. So uh, it's, I think it's one of the biggest machines in the entire um, bottling area. Yeah. That's the machine that you'd really want to spend some money on to make sure that it was Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, In the room, we're going to start to have the fest beer coming out, but before people have that in front of them, can we talk a little bit about, I'm sure in Australia there's lots of people who would have been to Munich and experienced Munich's Oktoberfest, and lots of people in Australia who think that that is what Oktoberfest is all about and it must be the same everywhere in Germany. That's not quite the case, is it? Can you, can you talk a little bit about what uh, October in, uh, at Weinstefan is like and what makes it special there? Yeah. I mean, um, this kind of beer festivals, um, they are happening year-round, you can say. So um, in my hometown, which is in between Freising and Munich, uh, we have 15,000 uh, people living there um, and we uh, have our uh, Volksfest, we call it, already in early June. Mm. And you can say from mid-May till uh, uh, beginning of October, when the uh, Munich Oktoberfest stops, you have this kind of beer festivals, uh, but also these local beer festivals in every smaller and bigger town. Uh, uh, Every time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know whether you watch The Simpsons, but it reminds me a bit of the Ribwich and just sort of following around the beer festival yeah. from town to town in a van with your, with your friends. I mean, you could be easily spending uh, the time from June, uh, you know, getting a little bit more uh, from uh, end of July onwards, but you can easily go hop from one uh, beer fest to the other. Yeah. 
you should do uh, probably uh, arrange a, something like a, a, a travel agency who is doing that actually I've got a friend who has a travel agency that does that but that's yeah. another question again let's not, <laughs> let's, let's not go down that that road uh, shout out to Thirsty Swagman if anyone's listening uh, the, but t- tell us what it's like what it's like in the preparation uh, around the brewery and yeah. is, it, is it exciting or is it something you sort of dread as all of these no, tourists it's, 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 no no it's really exciting and for this local beer fest we hardly have any tourists for the Freising Volksfest is it called it's always in the beginning of September for 10 days we've got two breweries in Freising it's Weinstefan and it's Hofbräum Freising is it called so we always uh, share it so five days it's us uh, on tap and five days the other brewery and uh, we also change whoever is starting so every year another brewery is starting and so what's, what's it like what does the town look like city look like yeah. who's coming in and if we were walking in on that day what would yeah. we be experiencing it's a, a miniature October, Munich Oktoberfest. So we have only one tent for 8,000 people. We have uh, only one room. There must be a rather large tent for 8,000 people. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, it's a building. So they start already building one and a half months before to get that up. Uh, and uh, we have only one roller coaster, not 20. We have one Ferris wheel, not two. Um, so, um, and we don't have, uh, except the people that we as a brewery invite from abroad we have hardly any tourists there i find that fascinating because for a brewery like yours especially there must be so many people who would love to come and experience it you think it's because people don't know about it or just because it's too hard to get no no, i think uh, they might uh, really um we had many customers uh, um especially from the United States, when we uh, said, okay, Volksfest, uh, they said, no, 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 we want to go to Munich Oktoberfest. And uh, so we went with them to Munich Oktoberfest, which doesn't do us any favor because we don't have a tent there because only the Munich breweries are allowed to go to the Munich Oktoberfest. Is there a special German word for that law about who's allowed to go to the Munich Oktoberfest? Um, I mean, it's just crap. (laughs) (laughs) No, but in the end, we don't even want to be at Munich Oktoberfest because, you know, the cost to have uh, your tent there and uh, all the logistics uh, involved, it's, it's, a, it's a big cost. And we rather have ours in Freising and uh, when you have the ch- early September, it's always in the beginning of September, Freising Volksfest. Um, and, you know, it's, there is a family event, you know, you see uh, uh, two-year-old uh, children with their dirndls or with their lederhosen on and, you know, no And fights. their laptops. <laughs> Not at this age, probably. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, it means something for the, for the community. It's, uh, it's really something where you get together and you meet some people that you haven't met from the town uh, for weeks or months or... Exactly what good beer is supposed to be about yeah. is convivial yeah. times yeah. and yeah. conversations yeah. To, you know, with, with new people and new yeah. friends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it only the fest beer that's on tap uh, from Von Stefan on that day, or, or would you be able to sort of experience more of the range? No, in the tent it's only uh, the fest beer and only in one litre max. So there is no small beers. Uh, it's it's strictly uh, with all these kind of Volksfests. Also Munich Oktoberfest, you only have the liter and only the the fest beer in the tent. Outside uh, we have also some little booths. Uh, you can also have a wheat beer. Yeah. Uh, I think you were saying before that the the heifer 
makes about 52% of your whole production in terms of just that one skew. Uh, how much is the Fest beer as a percentage of what you make overall? Because again, it's an iconic sort of beer here that's in Australia. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I would say it's around, because it's only a seasonal, it's only um, available in that time uh, of the Volksfest. Of course, for uh, overseas destination as you or United States, we, we uh, fill that already in, in April. So we produce it already in April. And I would say it's around 8% the Fest beer. But um, out of this uh, total fest beer, um, um, we might sell 80% to export and only 20% in Germany. I find that personally fascinating to think that a beer that, especially for me here in Australia, is one of those, oh, this is what people in Germany must be drinking all the time. But really we probably see as much or certainly more of it around the the calendar Mm -hmm. uh, in Australia than than people would overseas. Very important is, uh, and this uh, is really something what I wanted to mention because you just came up with that you're drinking that beer that we brew uh, in Germany. We only have one recipe for each beer. So it's not that we make a special brew uh, for you in Australia, um, which is uh, better, uh, higher uh, pasteurized to to have a higher shelf life. The same beer that you drink here, you get also in our brewery and restaurant, which is around 20 meters from the brew house. So we don't make any uh, compromises there. So we say we are brewing our beer to the best quality standards and we don't have to, we are so confident that we don't have to change anything to bring the same beer to you. Uh, and again, for newer people to craft beer, uh, that may not sound that remarkable, but there are many breweries around the world that would either produce the same beer, and I'm using inverted commas here, air, air quotes for people who are on the podcast, uh, would make the same beer in multiple locations around the world with multiple types of water, for instance, or two different standards in terms of even just the alcohol percentage. And I think of the varying kinds of Guinness that you can get around the world. Uh, For an example, that might be the most accessible to new people uh, to beer. Uh, It's fascinating to hear that you do it a different way to to that. We at least have the Fest beer in front of us now. Uh, Hopefully everyone out in our audience uh, has that as well. So please, Marcus, let's take us on on a quick tour of this beer... Again, taking us through the, uh, the colour in the glass, what we should be experiencing on the nose, the flavours. If you have a question, uh, particularly about this beer or about the Voxfest, uh, please come and line up. And then we're going to have a little break here uh, in, the, uh, in the live... I almost said the Zoom room, because I'm so used to saying it. Uh, we're going to have a little break here uh, in the room so that we can all go and freshen our palates. Uh, but please, take us on a tour of this beer. I'm really glad that I can still drink a fest beer if it's not Oktoberfest time anymore. So um, I love this beer. It's uh, one of my favorites. Um, our brewmasters uh, take um, Pilsner malt and um, uh, also um, a little bit of um, Munich malt in it, uh, which uh, gives it a, a little bit uh, uh, um, a darker color than a regular Helles. 
Um, it has 5.8% alcohol. Um, our, uh, I mean, Germany is, I think, the only country where a fast beer is higher in alcohol than in uh, a regular beer. Because in other countries, they, they say, okay, it's a fast beer, people drink more, make it lower alcohol. But uh, it's, uh, it's uh, um, uh, specific uh, that the fast beer has to have a certain wort. So is, that is there a German word for that law? <laughs> Yeah, the tax law. <laughs> so it all comes down to tax sooner yeah, or later. Yeah. Because uh, German beer is not taxed according to the alcohol, but uh, by the natural ward. So the natural ward is the um, um, amount of ingredients which is in the beer, in the liquid, before the fermentation even starts. Uh, I, I genuinely have never heard that before. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, also there is a specific uh, um, a volume of uh, natural wort that you have to use for a fast beer to call it a fast beer. So the, the alcohol content doesn't matter. So there are fast beer from uh, 5.6 to 6.4. Um, and uh, I mean, it's really malt-based, mm. so it, it's much uh, richer in the, your mouth than a, um, than a Helles or a lager beer. Um, and uh, um, our brewers, uh, they're using, um, fair enough, in this one, not even bitter hops. So they're using only the pearl, the, uh, the uh, aroma hop, um, to, to brew the beer. This is the only beer where we only use one single one. hop. Yeah. I find this beer particularly fascinating because, again, in Australia, we, we taste a number of beers that are called fest beers. Mm -hmm. Uh, you mentioned before that they're often marzins and so forth. Can you talk about what most fest beers might be like and then what makes this beer different? Yeah. The, the fact about the Merzen beer, uh, which is called uh, Merzen because uh, the, this beer was brewed in March, then uh, um, in summer brewing was not allowed because... Uh, um, uh, the, the danger of fires in the brewery was much too high. So, so in, uh, there must be a, there must be a German word for that law as well. But keep going. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, uh, but, but there were uh, two um, dates uh, of a holy man uh, uh, in between. It was Saint George, and uh, I can't remember the other one. But uh, one uh, one's uh, name day is on the, in the, the month of March, and the other one, when uh, brewing was allowed again in October, that was the birthday of the other holy man. Uh, we have similar rules about when you can go fishing for yabbies and crayfish, but yeah, you know, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so they were brewing the beer in March, and uh, um, that has to had to last then for the entire summer. So, what did they do? They put the beer in deep cellars, uh, were digging out the last ice from the rivers or lakes, put it in there, and um, uh, then uh, uh, let the beer rest there or used it when they needed it. Um, and so then uh, in October they were allowed to brew again and then it was fresh beer available. But they had to get rid of the, the, the beer which was still in the cellars. So uh, this is what, what they used for the first Oktoberfest, this beer which was uh, brewed in March. And this is Merzen, Merz is March. Uh, and this was for a long time uh, the regular fest beer. It was um, darker uh, in color, it was uh, already a little bit chestnut, uh, copper color. Um, it was uh, much richer and sweeter in taste. Mm. They used m much more hops to make because hops uh, also uh, increased the, the, the shelf life or the, 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 the uh, decreased the aging. Uh, and uh, but this changed quite a lot now because these beers were really 
they were heavy, they were really thick and you know, you couldn't drink so much. So uh, the brewers uh, changed uh, from a Merton style beer to a, um, a heavier, higher alcoholic lager beer, which uh, we have right now today. And even when I started in the brewery, we got uh, for our fest beer, because we always produce the, our fest beer like this now, so clear, light in color, uh, uh, a little bit more also on the lesser sweeter side, a little bit more on the bitter side, and we got always the worst ratings for our uh, uh, beer on uh, Beer Advocate and Rate Beer. So the others were all around 90, we already were 45, but because people didn't recognize this as our Fest beer. Um, this is a beer designed to be drunk in a tent with 8,000 people, is that...? And with a, with a beer mark of one litre, yeah. It, it tastes different. Uh, I mean, this is a, a nice glass, but it doesn't belong into that glass. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure everyone in the room would happily have one litre of it in front of yeah, them. So. Yeah. So, um, but now all the other breweries also saw um, they can sell more uh, of this style of beer. And... Um, um, they are producing now the same liquid uh, as I said. But uh, one example where uh, it's really difficult uh, that breweries cannot decide which way they want to go is Paulana. In the United States, they sell two fast beers. They listen to this a lot, so be very polite yeah, when you. Yeah. <laughs> no, they are producing two uh, different fast beers for the United States. One is the original Merton style, and one is the new, uh, uh, the new style, the, the lighter style. And do they call them both fast beer, or uh, they call it Wiesen beer? Like Wiesen is the Oktoberfest, and the other one is the Oktoberfest Merton. Yeah, yeah. And they seem to have for both still some. Uh, consumers, but in Munich they only have the, the, this style of beer. I think that's a very nice spot to put a little bow on this part of the conversation. We're going to have a little break here, live in the Zoom room, no, live here in the, uh, in the flesh, uh, and we'll have a 10 minute break and then come back with uh, our conversations about the Vetus and Corbinian. And say welcome back to episode 155 of The Call Room. We're here still at Beer Deluxe in Federation Square. We have hundreds and hundreds of people who are going to make the biggest noise that hundreds and hundreds of people can make. There was, there was a split second there where I got worried, but you fulfilled that beautifully, my friends. And, of course, that noise is welcoming the fact that we still have a Marcus from Weinstefan here with us and we have two wonderful, wonderful beers in front of us. Uh, the first of which we're going to speak about is the Vetus. Please, let's get into this beer and talk our way through what we're experiencing. Um, save the best for last, isn't it? <laughs> the sake. Um, we at least got the imperial beers of Weinstefan for, for the, the last two uh, sessions here. Um, and one is the Vitus. Uh, Vitus comes from Saint Vitus because uh, it's a Weizenbock. Is he one of the saints who you know occupies either end of the summer break or St George and but not St Vitus? Not no, 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 not there's the, so many saints. He's he's not the one, but he is uh, the patron of four different trades. It's uh, uh, um, artists, it's harlequins, uh, uh, it's uh, writers, and it's also for brewers. So I have, a, I have a real affinity for at least one of those four trades. Uh, it's not the brewers and it's not the writers, the harlequins. That might be more my style. Uh, and the harlequins stand a little bit for 
also being crazy. So uh, this beer is. Oh, in that case, I have nothing to do with them. <laughs> so this beer is definitely uh, where our brewers uh, did their best to uh, get a little bit out of the box. Um, it's actually also a little bit my fault because uh, I was always traveling and we didn't have a Weizenbock at the time. And I always went back to my brewer and uh, said, you know, when do you make my Weizenbock? I mean, we are a specialist in wheat beers. We have uh, NA, non-alcoholic. We have a light wheat beer. We have a Dunkel. We have a Cristal. We have a regular one. Where is the Weizenbock? And I was always, ah, oh, no, it's not so popular in Germany. And I think the 157 it was that I asked him for um, it was Frank which was also with me here in Australia and did a, a collaboration brews with Temple uh, Brewing Ooh. here uh, so we loved it here together as well he said Marcus I, can, I cannot hear you whining anymore I make a Weizenbock for you but it won't be a, a replica of any other existing one because I will make a light one uh, and this is the, the Vitus. Uh, it's a Weizenbock with 7.7% 7 .7 alcohol. And the interesting uh, thing about it, um, we were talking about this original wort, so the, the ingredients which are in it before fermentation. With this beer, it's not so, um, not so high. That means um, there are not so many fermentable sugars in that beer, like in the next one that we have uh, later, the, the Corbinian. But the yeast that we are using for that is our W68, it's our regular wheat beer yeast, is doing such a good job that it, it really um, was transforming this 16.8% uh, uh, of uh, uh, original wort into 77 uh, uh, alcohol. This is quite amazing. And uh, But in terms of taxation, there's not too much taxation, is that what you're telling me? Frank was not... I'm a, learning, I'm learning. Frank was not even a good brewer, he was also a good businessman, <laughs> which you, you don't uh, find so much with uh, brewers per se. <laughs> they're, they're, good, they're good brewers in the afternoon, maybe good businessmen up until about 11 o'clock in the morning. Exactly, exactly. Yes, right. Yeah, and um, I mean, uh, when you... Um, Take it. Um, it is. Uh, it's much lighter than the uh, the Hefeweiss beer, um, and uh, uh, this is why we only use um, um, uh, non-roasted uh, barley malt. With uh, with the regular Hefeweiss beer, you have slightly roasted barley malt. You don't roast the wheat malt because then it gets uh, off tastes, uh, off flavors, um, and uh, this is why this is lighter. And when you smell it. It's really not only banana, it's really like ripe banana. It's, it's really like uh, the, the ones where bananas which are already getting a little bit black because they are so sugary. Uh, and uh, this is uh, what, uh, what's in your nose. And then when you, when you drink it, uh, it's just an explosion of aromas in your mouth. Uh, and uh, it's so smooth. Um, drinkability is always uh, what we brewers want to achieve, uh, that you drink uh, one beer uh, or one sip and you want to have the, the next one immediately. And I think this beer is definitely getting you that. So I must ask, uh, knowing that your involvement with uh, the creation of this beer, how popular is it in Germany? Like, we love this beer in Melbourne. I have people who every year when I get my new shipments... Uh, from the brewery and they ask if they can have cases of this beer how was it received in Germany or is it a little bit pushing the, the boundaries 
In, in Germany, uh, we have this Bock beers, uh, uh, always in a, in a certain uh, season. It's the Bock beer season, which is the, the season uh, before... It must start Saints Day and go through to the it, day it, that you lodge it, your tax. It's, it's actually, no, it's actually the time of Lent. You know, the, 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 this is for the... Now bo- I feel a little bit bad about that joke, but not very. <laughs> the, the, no, it's really the time of Lent when the Bock beers were really popular. Uh, because uh, coming out of this monastery background... Um, the uh, the monks were not allowed to eat very much in the time of Lent, the 40 days before Easter uh, festival. Um, and it was all right, Labora, they were hard workers, the Benedictine monks, uh, were, which were in Weinstefan. And uh, um, so they just uh, brewed a high nutritious beer, which all the Bock beers are, and uh, got the nutrition from that, and they did not eat, so they didn't break the land. So um, there's a saying, uh, really in old German phrases, uh, um, drinking does not break the land. So, so they could have uh, had as much alcohol as they wanted, but... Uh, uh, yeah. It's funny because I was mentioning Slow Lane Brewery before uh, to some of the people in the room, uh, and they have a beer called Daily Bread. And it's very much that same yeah, sort yeah, of idea yeah. that you know it's a sustaining beer as yeah. well as uh, as well as a very tasty beer. Yeah. Uh, is this one of the beers that you know if we were to go to the brewery? Tell us how. What do you serve beers there? What's it like? And uh, if we go to the tasting rooms, um, I think I didn't answer your last question. <laughs> but how it is, uh, how it's uh, appreciated? So mm. in Germany, um, people like to really have more uh, lighter styles of beer so the further you could uh, in the, especially the, in, in the warmer it gets in some destinations where we sell the Vitus the more successful it is sometimes I really uh, kind of believe that it's uh, 40 degrees outside and people are pondering uh, uh, Vitus and Corbinians down in there uh, and uh, when they're getting out uh, the big hammer hits you <laughs> as it was when we brought that out in Germany because uh, when the final recipe then was finished, we uh, invited uh, our um, our main customers from the area, which are all big blokes, uh, you know, with a beer belly. And, uh, brewers, yeah. brewers who aren't running yeah, anywhere. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And um, invited them for the release of the Vitus into our brewery and restaurant, the Breustübel. And their stories, I've been in China at the time, but... Uh, the, our best customers were really crawling out on all four because they they, they, they totally underestimated that beer because it, it tastes like a regular wheat beer but it has so much uh, uh, alcohol that uh, they totally underestimated it. We, we don't we don't approve of those kinds of things. We might be amused by the fact that that happens, of course, but we certainly don't suggest that's what people do as the night wears on. And uh, have you gone back to Temple? Brewery, are uh, there friends of ours out in Brunswick in Melbourne uh, to to taste this beer with them? No, unfortunately not. I mean, uh, we um, we uh, of course uh, we we got some samples over. So we did two collaborations with them. Uh, I can't remember the first one. The second one was the Handschlag. But it was it was really interesting because uh, Frank, our brewmaster, who also uh, made this uh, recipe here, um, he was working there, and uh, they were brewing together. And you know, they were keep it simple was not uh, uh, the the philosophy of that brewers because I think it was a mix of seven different malts, 
and uh, the, um, the sewer uh, at the one stage got so blocked that it, the beer was just dripping through. So um, the head brewer at the time there stayed there and uh, supervised and we went to an uh, uh, Australian football game <laughs> three hours there, came back and uh, the, the brew was still not half through. <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful segue because I, I got asked before and I'm going to shout out to the bar staff who might be able to hear me over there. I wonder if we could have a little uh, taste of the Rattenhund for Marcus. I'd be very interested to hear your opinion of one of the beers that we think of uh, as an iconic Melbourne interpretation of a German style. But before we get to that, give me your reflections on going to an Australian football game, because I know that uh, this episode will be listened to people, listened to by people in Germany a lot. Uh, shout out to Heinrich, our Norwegian listener, and all of our other listeners around the world. What would your explanation to people who've never seen an Australian football game be about what an Australian football game looks like? Incredible many players or people running on the pitch and uh, 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 want to catch a ball. <laughs> uh, I think it's fair to say that that sums up, even those of us who played it as kids, uh, that's more or less exactly how we experienced it. But uh, it was obviously a really good game because it was Collingwood against Hawthorne. So that was... Uh, uh, right, uh, and again... <laughs> For, for poor Heinrich in Norway will have no idea what we're talking about here, but uh, were you following Collingwood or were you following Hawthorne? Just be aware that the wrong answer here means I'm just turning the recording off and walking away. I was uh, in favour for the guys who looked uh, less aggressive uh, and might bash me up if I, uh, I'm cheering for the wrong team. That's <laughs> <laughs> And that, my friends, is how you become a world ambassador for a beer brand. <laughs> now, quite genuinely, uh, for, for people who are on the podcast, obviously you can't see what's happening, uh, but Marcus is having a taste of the Hop Nation Rattenhund. I was speaking before about how lagers and similar styles are becoming much more fashionable in Melbourne, and this is a beer which has gone from uh, a very small production run uh, into being uh, a, a, a very, very popular beer for its style. Um, and I'm putting you on the spot, and I'd love you, please do speak honestly. Uh, your thoughts on the beer that's in the glass in front of you at the moment? It, it has definitely very floral aromas in, in, uh, when, you, when, you, uh, uh, when you smell it. It's also very crisp when you have it in your mouth, so it's really refreshing for me. Uh, and it has also a really good feeling when you when you drank it. So I would say it's a it's a good. Is it a pilsner or a lager? Well, I'd love someone from Hop Nation to be here to explain okay. that to you. Or I'm happy to take an audience poll. Hands up for pilsner. Hands up for lager. <laughs> hands up for the yeah, hands up for no for neither of the above. If you can tell, we, we've got an audience that are, that are somewhat worried about what answer they might give there. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're just told it's a Rattenhund, and that's a style. And uh, Rattenhund, obviously, being a German word for uh, red dog. Yeah, no, it's a, <laughs> 
it's, it's funny how this beer has captured the Melbourne imagination in recent times and uh, as a style we hope that we see more and more of these beers uh, coming out of some of our Melbourne breweries. I, I'm really uh, amazed about the name Rattenhund because uh, we uh, did a collaboration with uh, Sierra Nevada in 2018 um, and it was a brew. Uh, we brewed their Oktoberfest beer uh, in the states with them, but uh, did also one brew. It was a, um, um, a very fruity, hoppy wheat beer with American hops. First time that, you, that we ever used uh, um, hops from outside of Germany uh, in the beer it was Chinook, uh, and it was very apricot, and it was delicious. Uh, but we were looking for a name for, for, for the beer where we can probably also make a series out of it when we doing more collaborations with other breweries. And I said uh, to my market, domestic marketing team, it has to be a name which is, uh, you know, it comes uh, that people when they hear it, they immediately know that it's uh, German. So two phrases together which don't really make sense together. And Rattenhund is uh, one of uh, one of these. So we called the beer or the, the series then Braupakt, so Brewing Pact. Uh, uh, but it had to really sound Braupakt or Rattenhund. Uh, so, so really. So, like, so you, you're hearing here live the first inklings of a lawsuit, which is going to come down. <laughs> No, that's never been the attitude that I must have to be very clear about that. Yeah. I'm glad you're enjoying that beer and hopefully uh, you can see that we're experimenting those, with those styles. And again, for people overseas from Australia, I hope that uh, those of you that have experienced some of those sort of macro beers from Australia uh, get to understand that we have a really excellent craft beer scene here. Uh, we'd love to share that and that's one of the reasons why we love our overseas listeners. Um, we're about to move on to the Corbinian and have a discussion around this magnificent beer. I think most people in the room have it in front of them now. Two or three questions from me, opportunities for three or four audience questions, and then we're going to wrap up and let the room enjoy themselves because we've got so many people here tonight who are so happy just to be here together enjoying some wonderful convivial beers. Um, as soon as I say that, the general noise level rises. I need to use my, uh, my best teacher's voice. Please, Marcus, tell us the story of the Corbinian. We've got time for one more saint story, and this one's a pretty special one. Yeah, uh, whenever people uh, ask me, uh, please can you tell me a little bit about uh, the brewery, then I always say, ask them, uh, how much time do we have? Because uh, I could really uh, um, tell stories uh, which uh, would really, really f uh, uh, let the, the, our time level explode here. So uh, I want to make it as uh, short but uh, as uh, romantic as possible. We're here for the romance. They've changed the, the, the lighting in the room has been brought down a couple of notches. So I'm here for the romance. <laughs> So that got bigger laugh than it should have. <laughs> so we dedicated this uh, dark doppelbock uh, um, to our the founder of the mon monastery of Wein Stefan, uh, Saint Corbinian. Uh, he was a holy man, so uh, a real holy man um, uh, living in the eighth uh, century, and uh, there is a legend about him, like there is a legend for. 
quite a lot of things when, when it comes to Valen Stefan. But this legend says that St. Corbinian, he was uh, from France, from Arpachon, which is uh, in central France, and he was on his way to the Pope in Rome. Um, for, for taxation reasons? <laughs> for confession reasons, probably. <laughs> uh, and uh, he was there with his mule on his way, and the legend says that in the area of Freising, um, uh, a bear came out of the woods, attacked him and killed his uh, mule, and, and so he was standing there and said, yeah, how do I get to Rome uh, with my gun, uh, baggage uh, the last 1,200 kilometers to Rome? Um, and he put out his stick, tamed the bear, and the bear, bear became from a, from a really uh, ferocious uh, animal to a puppy. And uh, he put his, the saddle on the back of the bear and was riding on the uh, back of the bear t- uh, through the city of Rising and uh, all this way to Rome. Yeah. I, I love that story. And this is one of those, I, this is one of my favourite beers in the world, really genuinely. Uh, and I love the fact that just the colour of it in the glass genuinely reminds me of a, a brown bear. And is that, you think that influences, is there a link there at all? Or is that just in my mind? There is a, there's also an interesting fact about uh, um, dark beers. Um, um, this might be very close to the beers that uh, monks were brewing at the time where the brewing in Weinstefan started. Because um, it is uh, the the freezing water. It has a lot of minerals because we are close to the mountain range of the uh, uh, of the um, European Alps, and uh, there's a lot of uh, um, uh, uh, minerals in the water, and the water is really hard. At the time, they had, didn't have ch- a chance to uh, take these minerals out, and so most of the beers, because of the hardness of the beer, became uh, 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 dark. Hmm. So dark color. Uh, our uh, uh, bottom fermented uh, lager beer, dark lager beer, is called tradition out of that reason, uh, because that was the tradition uh, how they brewed the beer. Um, this is uh, compared to the uh, to the Vitus has a much a higher natural vault. There is a lot of ingredients in there, a lot of uh, highly roasted barley malt, uh, no wheat malt of course, highly roasted barley malt, um, which gives the color. So there's once again purity law, there's no artificial uh, um, color in there to make it dark as it is. Um, and when you smell it then, you smell uh, uh, bread uh, crust, mm. you smell uh, um, red, uh, dark red uh, uh, fruit like plums, um, you smell a little bit toffee, a little bit... Uh, Almost the, uh, the pretzel that we had before, yeah, some of that yeah, sort of... Yeah, yeah. And then you drink it. It has a bitterness uh, which has the same bitterness like our Pilsner, but uh, you don't feel it because the alcohol is covering the bitterness of the hops so much. Um, but it needs the hops as well to, to get uh, the, the strength of the liquid. Um, yeah, it's a commemoration to St. Corbinian, and I think it really uh, is an honorable product to, to uh, think about him. Yeah. There is another legend, by the way, so... <laughs> Only one more legend? One more legend. So, um, Corbinian went with the bear to, to Rome, saw the Pope, did what he had to do with the Pope, and... Uh, uh, <laughs> That's... <laughs> we, we often joke on the cool room that we make a T-shirt out of every episode. 
did what he had to do with the Pope might be the, uh, might be the T-shirt we make for tonight. So, so he asked the Pope if he was allowed to, to build a monastery there where he was attacked by the bear because uh, he felt uh, a need uh, to do that. Um, he went back, uh, but um, the area of Freising is a, uh, it was a swamp at the time. So what do you need to build up a settlement of any kind, a monastery or a, a town? Better taxation laws. <laughs> you need fresh water. <laughs> ah, my fault. <laughs> so the water was contaminated. Uh, and uh, so what did he do? So he went up the Weinstefan Hill, so where the monastery is today. And t took the stick where he the tamed the bear. Same stick, yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm, I can see what's happening stick, here. The yeah. magic stick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, knocked it on a rock, and fresh water came out. And uh, he uh, he uh, um, uh, was uh, naming this uh, well there uh, con to consecrate it Stephen, which is called Wein Stefan. So this is where the name Wein Stefan comes. So cons consecrated uh, Stephen. Um, and built the monastery right above that. And you, when you come to Freising, I say to your as we're all going to do next week, we haven't explained that before. Yeah, but yeah. exactly. Um, there is still this original place where the well is supposed to be. Um, we don't use that water, of course, but it's still dripping out of that place where uh, uh, the legend says it happened. Do you still have the lucky stick? <laughs> the lucky stick? No, the lucky stick is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear our crowd, or at least Custard, is becoming more and more animated as we go on. I have two more questions and then let us uh, line up and ask some other questions. We have a traditional question in the call room. I'm going to ask that first. I think we may have asked you this one before, but uh, we love to hear stories from behind the scenes. That's what the call room is about because call rooms are the large walk-in fridges that we have in Australian pubs and breweries. They're the things that break down. There's the thing, they're the things that are, we spend all of our times trying to fix. Do you have a cool room story for us that you've not spoken about before? Uh, something that you've seen behind the scenes in a brewery or behind the scenes in a pub that you'd like to share with us? Um, I mean, um, <laughs> many stories which I don't really want to tell here because... Uh... No, not, about, not about your brewery, about another large mid-sized German brewery. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're a really nice and uh, secret circle here, yeah. of course, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard, no, not really, I mean... Uh, Marcus, Marcus, you wash dishes in Sydney, in Bondi. At this one you wanted yeah. to say. Yeah, yeah, so Michael yeah. asked me to ask you this question, quite uh, This is what you wanted to hear, yeah. yeah. You know, 20, 28 years ago, uh, I was here as a backpacker, I just wanted to come here for three months with a three-month visa at the time uh, as a German uh, guy you didn't get a working visa today it's uh, travel and work uh, didn't exist at the time at least not for Germans uh, and uh, I visited some friends that's that got a laugh I don't know why genuinely <laughs> <laughs> so so I had some friends in Sydney and uh, they opened the doors for me and I stayed there and you know was traveling quite a lot already uh, through Australia, and I thought, you know, another waterfall, probably not. Another, <laughs> uh, another place where a well has sprung uh, up from the ground when it was struck by a stick from a yeah, holy man. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, and, uh, then uh, this friend said, you know, I know another friend who, who works at this uh, seafood restaurant right at Bondi Beach. Uh, um, 
just apply as a dishwasher and they just uh, lost their Canadian dishwasher and I went there and I had a really good time there because um, yeah it was at the nice scenery on planet earth uh, it was far away from home uh, it was no obligations just washing dishes but it, but it was an open kitchen and it was uh, um, one day that uh, I felt a tick in a cockroach big like this was there and it was a really premium seafood restaurant and uh, I just kicked it away under the washing machine and uh, <laughs> that happens in Sydney not in Melbourne just to yeah. be clear and you know the highlight of this uh, three months that I worked there was that Kali Minogue came in and uh, I really had to get uh, really kicked all the gay uh, 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 waiters away that I could uh, take the, 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 that I could take the dirty dishes from Kylie Minogue and uh, this was a really big highlight and yeah, yeah. we love Kylie That's yeah, yeah. I do as well yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. The other question I've been asked by the crowd to ask is, uh, and I don't, you know, on, on Twitter sometimes they say no real answers, so I don't want the truthful answer for this. Okay. A number of people in this room have been speculating about whether you fell off your mountain bike before tonight's episode, uh, whether you've been, everyone in Australia gets attacked by sharks and kangaroos all the time. Drop bears, drop bears and hoop snakes. You may or may not be aware of drop bears and hoop snakes. I'm not sure. But but, but you know it's getting close because uh, I started my my trip uh, uh, in Sydney one week ago, uh, and there were some lions uh, escaping from Taronga Zoo. <laughs> One of those ones where everyone's everyone poor Heinrich in Norway is going to think that's a that's a sort of an in joke. It's actually just the truth. Sure, I wanted to really uh, bring them back. <laughs> I did, you, and uh, one hugged me to say thank you, and that was the result. That is a wonder. I, I love that answer. Uh, we're obviously getting towards the end of the night, but if people have questions that they'd last like to ask on mic. Now's the time to come up, and it would be great to have an audience question or two, or three, if people have them. So please come on up. Don't just nod at me from a distance. Come on up, and I can see. Please come. <laughs> Oliver's on his way. Uh, he's a good friend. He's wearing a Brucolt T-shirt. And quite genuinely, I got my uh, 2016 Brucolt uh, price list out of the computer today. So... Tremendous. Times from the past. Oliver, please ask your question. Um, so I used to work for Coopers, which is one of the... Um, the well, it is the largest independent brewery in Australia. Um, and during that time, I, Tuesday mornings at 10 o'clock, we used to go down and taste all the beers that were about to come out of the... Um, the, the that had been bottled, and we had to taste them to make sure they were OK. And I used to go back to my desk and sit there, and I could not work for the rest of the day. Do you have such an onerous task... Um, at Wine Stefan? Uh, oh, I mean, this is only quality control what you're talking about. Exactly. Of course, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, I mean, as in many other uh, 
companies uh, uh, you have this uh, thing, okay, no alcohol during your working time, but uh, um, you always get away with that in a brewery, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have that too. And by the way, um, when I've been to Australia that, uh, 28 years ago, um, I mean, the, the landscape in the brewing world was a totally different one. I think there was just uh, uh, the, big, the big guys, and there was uh, Coopers and Little Creatures from Australia, and I think uh, one or two or three uh, German brewers, uh, brewers here. So it's a totally different uh, world today, and I'm grateful that it is like this, because, I mean, uh, all the Australian craft breweries who are doing uh, business now just help the entire uh, um, trade to, to, to get to a certain level. And uh, also we as a traditional and uh, world house brewery or so, we appreciate very much what these craft breweries are doing for beer per se that we all love. Yeah. I am so, so happy that Oliver has avoided the tripping hazard that I'd set up uh, for him in approaching uh, the venue. All the more so because he's a very important part of the Flemington and Kensington Lawn Bowls Club, uh, particularly the second side thereof, which I bowl with him in, uh, and a fantastic craft beer venue under his tutelage. So if ever you're in Melbourne, Heinrich, all the way from Norway, make sure you head out to the Flemken Bowls Club. Unless anyone is going to raise their arm in the air and indicate they have a burning question... I'm going to tie things off right here and right now, uh, but I know the room uh, and the, uh, the podcast audience, I'm sure, want to put their hands together and say, Marcus, it's been a fantastic time with you tonight. You've been so generous. It's been fantastic to have you in the flesh here in Melbourne. Uh, a wonderful night for the podcast, a wonderful night for me personally. Thank you, you're a beautiful crowd. Thank you very much. Uh, but uh, I also want to say, I mean, there, there are some places of longing uh, uh, that you have, and uh, Australia is definitely one of them. So uh, uh, I always, uh, it's a pleasure for me to come back. It's uh, like coming home, and uh, you made me really feel home. <laughs> <laughs>